So when you came in, you were in high school at that point. I left Vietnam. I was in sixth grade, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I came here. I know a little bit of English from those class because it wasn't later into the later months that I was in the minor camp. That's when we study a little bit of English, but barely, barely. So I barely spoke any English by the time I came here. And when I got here, I was 15 years old. I got here May of uh, 1991. So the summer has, school had already come to an end. Yes. So my uncle went to enroll me in summer school so I can take ESL class. English as a second language. I remember that. <laughs> and I was in, there was ESL A, ESL B, and ESL C. Now I passed the A because, and I at least know how to count and uh-huh. say some word like, how are you? Some of the basics, yes. So I get to go to ESLB, which when I go in, I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, it was hard. It was like, I should have stayed in A. <laughs> so I took ESL that summer, mm-hmm. and but I love studying. So I studied really hard. By that summer, I got from B to C. And then uh, because I was 15, he put me in ninth grade. So imagine I'd left Vietnam, <laughs> barely starting sixth grade. Yes. In Vietnamese. I came here, I barely s- speak English, and he put me in ninth grade. Because <laughs> so, you had to be with kids your age. It was very, very hard. I can imagine. And But you know, by, by the grace of God, I, it's just hard working. My dad told me if your classmate speak English well, and they study, you know, they spend 30 minutes to read something and study it. Uh-huh. If you don't speak as much English, you spend two hours, you yes. can still study the same thing. And that's what I did. I just studied double, triply, quadruply harder than the rest of my, you know, I just spent a lot of time looking up word, writing <laughs> it out in pencil, and I was able to make it through, yeah. That's amazing. What school uh, was this? It was Alif Elsick High School in South Southwest Houston. Yeah, wow. So there I studied there. <laughs> and that's where you went to high school for for the four years. So four you started years in high there as a freshman, yes. not knowing much English at all. Yeah. Oh, I remember reading Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> it took me it took me three hours to read one page. I can so relate to you because um, when my dad moved our family to the Philippines after he retired, I had just that opposite uh, experience learning Filipino. And we had to read the national novel in Filipino. <laughs> and now just like you spending hours, so much more time than your classmates studying it, looking up almost every single word in the dictionary for the yes. translation. So you uh-huh. could understand. Yeah. That was, that must've been really tough after everything you've been through. You're finally, safe and sound, but you yeah. still have this mountain to climb. Oh yeah. I I remember I was depressed. First, you know, I I didn't know the culture. Yes. So it was very difficult to relate. I made a decision. In in Elsick High School it was very um diverse school. Yes. And there there was also a lot of Vietnamese. I made a decision to myself that I would not hang out with the Vietnamese. Wow. Because I want to force myself to speak English. Wow, that's tough. I know. So I was, um, I didn't speak Vietnamese. So the Vietnamese think like, oh, he's kind of stuck up. He doesn't want to hang out with us. He thinks he know. So that was kind of <laughs> sad, but that's not my wow. intention. 
On wow. the other hand, when I, I hang out with the English people, it's like, this guy doesn't speak English. Why is he hanging out with us? Yeah. yeah. So I was very lost. I felt, I felt out of place. I don't feel belong. Wow. Um, I was very lost. I felt. You're like an outsider. Myself, yeah. 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 Both with the Vietnamese and with the English. But wow. I was determined to not hang out with the Vietnamese. And with my peer who speak English, I felt, I think it affected my self-esteem. I felt self-esteem a lot. I felt, mm. like, I felt like I'm not able to talk like them, uh-huh. to have friendship like them, because they speak and they understood, understood each other. Yes. And I'm not able to write and talk like them. I don't know the culture. I am not able to dress like them. When I came here, you know, I, I didn't, I still dress. They call it fresh off the boat. Yes. You know, I still have those old t-shirt from the camp. And, wow. Uh, you know, old shoes and things like that. Uh-huh. You know? And I, I don't look anything like them. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I don't have nice shoes or shirts and jeans and things like that. You know? And so I don't look like them. I don't talk. like It was it's tough. I was depressed. I can imagine. That was, that was a really tough decision for you to make to only hang out with people that spoke English. Because, I mean... I hung out with people that spoke. I, I went the, the easier way uh-huh. than you. I, I hung out with people that spoke, you know, the language I spoke. It, yeah. it made it harder for me in the long run. Yeah. But for you to consciously go out of your way to yeah. speak with people who didn't speak your language just so you could integrate, that, that made it harder, huh? Yeah, I, I was uh, kind of aggressive, but <laughs> it was tough. I, but I was so depressed thinking back about it. How long did that last? that adjustment period? Did it last throughout yeah. your whole high school life? I, I feel very blessed because I think after one year, I began to have conversational. I was starting to get better with conversational. Uh-huh. Now, reading and writing was still difficult. I, uh-huh. I always make the best grade in my <laughs> math class. Uh-huh. Those are my favorite classes. But English literature, history, and all of that, the, the, all the ones that require a lot of reading, I do bad. <laughs> I, I, I do all right. But in Vietnam, uh, I, I learned a little bit to play the violin. So I joined uh-huh. the orchestra. So oh, I stay after school. And that helps a lot because the, the extracurricular activities at school, it allowed me to go on field trip with these uh, people and I get to speak English with them. And, and you so can I bond. Yeah, yeah. So I remember... By the time I was in junior, a junior in high school, two years later, uh-huh. I, I started to feel comfortable and really start to have friend, friends and was uh, uh, doing pretty good. By the time I get to high school, I was pretty comfortable. Yeah. What about girls? Did you date? <laughs> so um, I got to be careful because the cardinal might be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Uh, that desire to be a priest was uh-huh. very, very strong in me. Okay. That was one of the reasons why I was so determined to learn English. Because I found out uh, I was ready to go to the seminary by the time I get here. But my uncle told me, I was told that I have to. My uncle knew the priest who invited me to the house. And I asked, invited, and they said, you have to finish high school first. Uh-huh. Now, that was another uh, motivation for me to really push myself to learn English because I want to go to the seminary. So um, that was very, um, uh, 
very, uh, it was, it was strong in my heart. So, and then besides that, my uncle and my parents were very, very strict. <laughs> no dating. The okay. traditional Asian parent that That's right. doesn't want no dating, <laughs> no girl making phone call to the house. I would be in big, big trouble if that was the case, right? So, did you ever sneak behind their backs? <laughs> Mom and Dad, I hope you're not watching. <laughs> no, I'll know, take I, that as I, a yes. I think that in my ju- <laughs> in my sophomore year, I golly, there was. There was some girls, you know, in, in the symphony that was very good to me. Like, even when people don't understand me. Uh-huh. There was a couple of girls that was like, always very kind to me. Uh-huh. Like, was very patient with me. And boy, I have a, I have a huge crush. <laughs> I like, it's like, it's like, I, I, I would have a, I have a huge crush. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I remember, you know, uh, at that age, you have puppy love. Right? Of course. And it's crush. only natural. Yeah. And I have, I could tell you, I, I have a number of girls that I have crush on. And I thought, golly, I'd love to marry them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Did anything ever happen? Did you ever, or your parents were just too strict? <laughs> My parents are very strict. There was one girl in particular, I, I remember, I really, uh, I really like her a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I like, I had crush on a few, but this one girl, she's just really, 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 really sweet. You know, I, uh, and uh, she, uh, she has this very nice smile, very, very smart girl. And uh, was she Vietnamese as well or? No, she's Chinese. She's Chinese. Chinese. <laughs> and uh, which I love because it allowed me the opportunity to, to learn English. Right? Okay. Uh now, what do they say? They say the best way to learn a language is to have uh, an uh, an opposite sex friend with whom you can practice the language. Doesn't have to be a boyfriend or girlfriend. Yes. Uh-huh. For some reason, you you register the voice really, really well. Hmm. That's what they say. So, I think that's a blessing, right? <laughs> so for me to learn English. Uh huh. So, um, gosh, she's so sweet. She's very patient with me, and. Uh, a very kind soul. So I had a, I just have a huge, huge crush on her. And, um, I, uh, I remember, uh, my junior year, beginning my junior year, you got, after mass, uh, and after school in the old day, especially on Friday, you would hang out with a group of people. Like you ask a group of friends to go out together. So if you like some girl, you're like, you ask her, but you go in a uh-huh. group. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's Just so you, it's not so awkward. Yeah. Awkward. And one is not awkward, but two, you kind of get away if your parents are strict. Oh, I didn't. I go with a group of yeah, friends. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> That's your excuse. So I just, I remember I, I was very shy, very, very, very shy kid, especially when it comes to girl. <laughs> but I, I liked her a lot. So uh, I just remember uh, asking her, hey, hey, you know, next week, we gotta go to the mall. That's 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 our hangout place. Go to the mall, right? Uh-huh. You go to the mall. You, you you go to the food court. You eat. Kind of go, go um, window shopping, and then go to the movie. So I found all the courage that I have. You know, I remember. I remember. I remember very clearly. I thought to myself, "Man, I left Vietnam by boat. 
you know, I get shot at and I got people <laughs> screaming at me and I'm not scared. Now, telling this girl, asking this girl to go out, I'm so scared. I'm terrified, you right? And after being through all of that, <laughs> hiding under an altar with bullets flying around. He's like, I just go, I'm scared. <laughs> but I found my courage. I asked her and she said, certainly, I would love to. And oh, I thought I was in heaven, you know. It's like, yes. <laughs> Oh, and I remember we went, I, th- I remember there was like six of us, six of us. We went to the mall mm-hmm. and uh, we went to eat and, ah, oh, and then, uh, uh, and when we went to see, that, that was, we went to see the movie called The Lion King. Okay. That, it was the, the first cartoon Lion King, The Lion uh-huh. King. Oh, and of course we went in after our dinner, we went in there and we, we, we watched the movie. Of course I sat right next to her, right? I mean, we. It's kind of like a group date. Yes. And, uh, oh, I remember it's, it's a perfect date movie. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you pull that um, stretch yawn thing to put your arm around her? No, no, you're too scared. <laughs> I was too scared. <laughs> I was sitting there. I was so happy. Oh, and those, those Lion King songs, it's perfect, right? Can you, you feel, feel the, love? the love tonight? I was like, of course, I feel the love tonight. <laughs> Can you feel it? <laughs> oh, and she was so sweet. You know, in the old days, we still use those tape and there's radio. Yes. And if you like some song, you recorded it, right? You made her a mixtape. No, she made me the tape. She made you a mixtape. Wow. And she edited that song in there. And she says, hey, thank you. I really enjoyed it, you know. Uh, anyway, so we didn't like, you know, date in that sense but we go out like that with group uh-huh. and things like that so uh, my senior year I I was really struggling because I really like her a lot uh-huh. I really like her and uh, and uh, uh, of course she wants to become a doctor and at the time I was like I, I either got to become a priest or a doctor okay no other choice that's it either the priest or a doctor was that something your parents said or you? You know, because yourself? I, I like I like helping people. Okay. So I think I thought that if I could become a priest, when I was in a refugee camp, those doctor came and you know, give us those examinations exam exam us and uh-huh, give us yeah. so I was always fascinated by that. I thought, you know, if I wasn't a priest, I would be a doctor and I would probably serve in the Red Cross. I would go to those land and help medical missions out. and medical all of mission. that. Yeah. Besides that, I think at the time, so uh, she likes to become a doctor. So in my mind, I thought, well, that works out perfect. Right. So you can go to med school thought, together. And- yeah. If, if I don't go <laughs> to become a priest, then uh-huh. I go to med school with her. Uh-huh. Then when I go to college, my mom and dad would allow me to officially date her. Yes. No so group things anymore. In med school, Just, we'll get to officially date. Uh-huh. And then uh, we probably wait until we graduate from med school, but, and then we'll go to work. And I figure a doctor makes a lot of money. Then we'll have our own house. We'll probably have two kids and a little chihuahua. So that's the plan. <laughs> that that's was my, your- So that's what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. But at the same time, the call to the priesthood was tugging very strong. I just remember having a hard time. I never thought all my life, all I wanted to do was to become a priest until I met this girl. 
And until I started having crushes, I said, wait a minute. This is hard. You this thought it was going to be easy. And then finally, when you're close to it. I'm like, I have to make a decision. It becomes hard, huh? And in my senior years, I'm going to have to make a decision. Do I want to go to high school? Or do I want to go to college, med school, and begin to officially date? You know? uh-huh. So I was having a very hard time. Oh, you mean seminary or med school? That's right. Yeah, okay. Uh, in fact, I invited her to... Now, my parents did not know this. <laughs> I invited her to the senior prom. Oh, wow. So, gosh, I remember... <sighs> I, uh, my best friend and I, you know, I, I, my friend, we, I went and ran a tuxedo, right? And I left it at his house. Uh-huh. So I would go to his house, change into the tuxedo, and then he would drive me to the prom. Uh-huh. And she showed up in this beautiful white dress. And I thought, oh, wow. I mean, it was beautiful. We had a great time uh-huh. at the senior prom. That makes it even harder to make it. <laughs> right. <laughs> So this whole t- that whole time you were torn. I was extremely torn because this deep seated call is always in me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was a, a I was a a teenager who was falling in love, head over toe. I thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world at that prom, you know, and uh, and. Uh, I could marry her that same night. (laughs) 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 So what are we waiting for? And uh, so I had a really hard time, but the priesthood kept tugging my heart. So I was a teenager falling in love, head over toes, but this, this, this call to the priesthood was so strong. So I finally talked to my pastor. And I'll never forget this is his advice to me. He said, Dad, it seems like God has always, God's call has always been consistent all your life. And I know you also kind of falling in love and you, he told me this, why don't you give God the first choice? You go to the seminary first. Uh huh. And just because you go to seminary doesn't mean you're going to get married. Uh, you become a priest right away. Uh-huh. It takes you nine years mm-hmm. of formation and you continue to discern in the seminary. You have a f- spiritual director. You live with other men who are discerning uh-huh. and you have the formation to help you. Why don't you the word he just try it out? Give God the first try. Try it out first. And mm. he said, if you discern that it's not for you, then you can leave. You can go back to med school. You can date. But you will never regret. You never regret because you know you have go and discerned, and you give God his his chance. Because you could always turn back. Yeah, you can always change your mind if you during discern the now. discerning process. Yeah. yeah, if you, with the help of your spiritual director and the faculty there, discern out, discern that this is not for you. You can leave. You never regret. And he told me. But what you've learned in the seminary will strengthen you in the faith and will help you to be a better husband and a better father to your children because of your faith. Now, that made a lot of sense to me. 
So with a lot of prayer and, and great difficulty, I made a decision to choose to join, to apply for the seminary. I just remember apply pretty late in the process because I was struggling, really struggling. Mm-hmm. So, so in a way, it was good that I wouldn't date her officially because you didn't have didn't, a commitment. I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have a commitment. Uh-huh. Uh, so I applied for the seminary. And that's what I did. It was a difficult thing, but I did. And I remember I was accepted. I said, it's all in your hands now. It was a very, very tough process, vetting process to go through. And I received the, the letter and I was accepted. So that August, I was going to, to the seminary. Wow. And so I did. So I did. I went to the seminary. Now you were accepted into the seminary. So what happened next? With the girl and all of that. <laughs> a bit gloomy. <laughs> so I remember even after I applied, I was still questioning in my head, did I make the right decision? Uh-huh. But once again, I keep coming back to, okay, let's go give it a try. You've got the first try was, was what was very much in my heart. So mm-hmm. I remember that day, the day that I was due at the seminary on Sunday evening. So that day, I have a lunch with my family on Sunday. And after the lunch, uh, we, remember we have just reunited. Yes. Back together for now it would be three years. After all those years of being apart. And here I am. I'm packing and I'm going away. So that was uh, kind of tugging in my heart. So we had lunch and I got up and I said, I, mom and dad, I love you all. I love you all very much. Uh-huh. I'm going to the seminary. Please pray for me. And uh, even though I can't be around, but no, I love you. I'm discerning. Pray for me. And, you know, we exchanged love and, and hugs. And then I got in my car. It started raining. It was like, a storm. I remember driving. So my heart was sinking, saying goodbye to my family uh-huh. after all those years of being apart. And now I'm driving to be away again. It's sad. I'm still wondering, am I making the right decision? And my drive from here to Dallas, the whole time it was like I barely saw a car in front of me. That's how bad it was. Wow. It took a long time to finally get there. And then I get to the seminary. And I'm so excited. You know, here I am. Something I've always wanted to do all my life. Uh-huh. I'm finally, after, after all these years, after all these journey, uh, still somewhat undecisive, but feel this is where I'm called. I'm finally here. Got to the seminary. And uh, I was going to run into all these wonderful saints, guys who, going to be in the seminary and holy. And when I got here, I find very quickly, I said, man, these guys are just like me. <laughs> <laughs> They're just all young guys like you who are. You know, they have uh, some young guy like me who's trying to figure out, did I make the right decision? Some guys, oh. some guys go in there, know for sure, this is it. And some guys are, uh, 
some guys are really nice guys. Some guys are not too nice. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's like, wow, they're all human. Oh. So you, you, thought, you, you went in thinking that everybody was going to be I went all in, holy and pious. I went and- thinking that I'm going to enter into a community of saints. And then very quickly, I found out I'm entering a community of humans. <laughs> but God is good. Because, you know, like he called Peter. He, he doesn't call the perfect. He perfect the one he calls. Mm. And uh, he 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 loves us in that way. You know, he doesn't call and love us because we're perfect. He meets us in our brokenness, yes. in our sinfulness. And being a disciple is to go along the journey, and he form our heart. Peter wasn't ready to be crucified upside down when he first followed Jesus. In fact, he denied him. Yes. So I found out very quickly that man, these guys. Yeah, there's some nice guys and some crazy guys and all of that. We all in there. We're all discerning. So, so why did, why did you go to Dallas? Why not here in Houston? Yeah, the way it worked is the seminary at the time of when when if you enter the seminary straight out of high school, uh-huh. you had to first do your four years of undergraduate study in philosophy, and once you graduate, then you go to a theology seminary where you spend another four years studying theology, okay. graduate, and then a year of internship. Okay. So I went there because I went straight out of high school for my undergraduate study at this, this a seminary that is right there next to University of Dallas. So we'll study uh, in the philosophy at the University of Dallas while living in the seminary and receiving the formation there. Okay. So, so I went there. And uh, enter into prayer. The nice thing about the seminary is everybody is discerning. So you foster friendship really quickly. Yes. And you have a spiritual director and you have a formator who walk with you, which I appreciate. But first year, first semester studying philosophy, I hated it. Really? You know, I get better at my English, but. I still hate reading. <laughs> reading, <laughs> reading still take a lot of work for me, and writing. So we have to do. We have to read a lot and write a lot. And philosophy is not the most exciting topic to read. You know? Yes. So I, so I kind of struggle with school a little bit. Additionally, my parents were very, very strict at home. Okay. Now I'm away. I'm in a seminary. You have more freedom. I have more freedom. So <laughs> I wasn't as disciplined. I was spending a lot of time. I remember in the seminary, there was a ping pong table uh-huh. and there's a pool table, a shooting pool. Uh-huh. I got really good at shooting pool and playing <laughs> ping pong. I spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time playing. Because you and didn't have your parents there telling you this is study time. That's right. And so I struggle. So on the one hand, I struggle academically and also with studying philosophy. Uh-huh. But a deeper struggle is, and, and as I'm going through that uh, desolation, right? I'm not liking the philosophy. This is mm-hmm. not my thought of it. This is not the community of saints. Am I in the right place? Maybe not. So I, was, I wasn't doing well in school. I was uh, struggling with the schooling with the in discipline terms of the topics and, uh-huh. and the discipline, uh-huh. being away from home for the first time. And thirdly, uh, 
I was I was really homesick. Of course, because your family had just been back together, yeah, for three years after yeah. being away from each other yes. for four plus years. So I really miss mom, dad, brothers uh-huh. and sisters, and I still really miss that girl. <laughs> Did you stay in contact with her <laughs> a little bit? You wrote so, letters because I'm in a seminary, so I want to make sure there's a proper distance, of course, proper boundaries uh-huh. there. So, but I was, I still think a lot about her. Okay, but you didn't her. write her or anything. Limited, very okay. Yeah, when I when we come come back for like we have we called it free weekend. You know, we would talk on the phone and visit. Uh-huh. But so I uh, by the end of the semester, I thought, man, it's not for me. Wow. Because I thought if it was really for me, I would be so happy. It would be easier. It'd be easier. Here Uh I am struggling with school, extremely homesick, and still thinking a lot about uh, the beautiful uh, friend that I have, right? Uh So I I struggle so much that I, uh, I come to a conclusion toward the end of the semester that perhaps this is not for me. Okay. So I called my mom. I said, mom, uh, I gave it a good try, but I don't think I'm called, mom. I think I'm, I'm going to leave the seminary. I'm going to transfer it out. At the time, my brother went to, uh, to UT, University of Texas. Uh-huh. And, you know, in some conversation, uh, the girl says she might, go to UT too. So I thought maybe that work out, right? Uh-huh. So I'm going to transfer to UT. My brother is there. Maybe she'll go there. We both study. And that's when I can officially ask her to date and um, exclusive dating yes. and all of that, right? I, I got my plan. Yes. So I told my mom, maybe I'll transfer. Says, mom said, yeah, yeah, you go. Go. Uh, if it's not for you, I, mom will support you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can leave, you can go to UT with your brother and I'll support you. Uh, it's okay. Thankful for that. So, uh, that was my plan. I haven't told the seminar. I want to wait to the end. Uh-huh. Cause you, so I, uh, two weeks before the end of the semester on a Saturday morning, I drove to, uh, the, uh, I drove to the, uh, the flea market and I bought an image of, the Immaculate Heart of Mary and Sacred Heart of Jesus. Okay. And I, I was driving back on the freeway. And uh, it's a beautiful day. It's driving back. And as I'm driving on the freeway, I came upon this truck that was carrying sofas and things. I thought, hey, that thing, the way they they put that sofa and I said, that thing is going to f- fall. Yes. So I changed four lane. From the outside to the inside lane. Okay. And showing up just as I do that, that sofa fell off that truck. Wow. And it was falling on the freeway. So here I am driving about 65 miles per uh-huh. hour. And that truck rolled right in front of my car. Wow. So I go, I try to turn into the emergency lane, but I, uh-huh. did, it, I did it so fast, I lost control of the car. And you spun around. It spun around about five times. Imagine on the freeway on a wow. well on a Saturday morning, so that there was car, but my car is spinning uh-huh. until I finally was able to manage it to stop. Okay, it has turned backward on the freeway on the outside lane. 
And the 18-wheeler truck was driving on the outside lane. And when I managed to stop, that thing was running straight to me. Wow. On the freeway. And I still remember when the truck was about four feet away from me, uh-huh. because at that time, there's nothing I could do. The car has come to a stop and the truck keep moving toward me. Yes. It's a split second. I thought, this is the end of my life. Yeah. And I still remember in my head thinking, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell. I said, Lord, have mercy. And it was like, I remember like a shadow of Jesus holding me. And the 18 wheeler just dives, just hit me straight into my car and keep pushing. Next thing I know, when this thing come to the stop, there was an ambulance. There was two fire truck. They shut three lane. Uh-huh. My, uh, the front of my car, the battery flew out. So the where, did, where did it hit your car? Face to face. Oh, straight, so straight right in front of you. Straight into me, yeah. Wow. And keep pushing it until it finally managed to stop. Okay. The windshield completely Shat- shattered. Wow. I had glasses, I remember, on my shoulder, on my, on my head. The police got the, the door open somehow. Okay. Yanked me out. Did you pass but out? But before he got me out, I still remember he looked through the window that was completely gone. Yes. Said, are you all right? Said, okay. Do you remember where you at? Uh-huh. Do you know your name? So he asked me all kinds of questions to make sure I'm still conscious. Yes. And after he asked some questions, he got me out of the car. Did the police report? The truck driver came over and asked, are you all right? I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. And after everything is said and done, I did not have one single scratch. Wow. I remember I was scared, but it's in a very strange way. I felt so much peace because it was as Jesus was holding me. And you were awake this whole time. I was awake the whole time. And... The truck driver said, I can't believe you're alive. With your little bitty car, I had a Hyundai, a white Hyundai. Uh He said, when I ramp you straight into you face to face, usually it roll on top of your car. Yeah. I can't believe not only that didn't happen at my speed and you're still alive. (sighs) So the truck, the toller, my car, Completely total. Yes. Took it. Police put me in his car and he drove me back to the cemetery. I'm still shaken up. <sighs> you didn't go when, to the hospital? No. Because they asked me all these questions. And, and you were lucid. I, I, and you were, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they, they, they took me back to the seminary. I got out, thanked the officer, and then I ran straight to the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament. I knelt down and I remember saying this very clearly. I said, Lord Jesus, 
my life is yours. It could have been gone. Yes. You just saved my life. You just kept me alive. And I'm going to continue the seminary. Wow. So I, I decided that I'm going to, I'm not come back. That moment, that was my uh-huh. decision. Because I felt as if alive, because it was like that. Yes. It all belonged to God. Yes. All belonged to God. If one small thing happened differently, yeah. then. So I said, maybe I should stay. I will stay, Lord. I've stayed in the seminary. Uh-huh. So I made a decision to stay. And uh, thank God I did, because I would never trade the priesthood for anything. But that moment was uh, a deep turning point in my life. Yeah. How did you break it to the girl? Uh, well, you know, we just, just we just grew apart, you know, and I continue with my with my mm-hmm. decision, and I continue to seminary. Yeah. Have you ever kept in touch with her? No, we have lost contact for a long time. I, I yeah. you didn't try to Facebook stalk her or anything <laughs> <laughs> to see how she's doing. Is she married? No. I hope she's okay. You know, <laughs> I'm sure she's doing well. I last I heard that she's a doctor, uh, serving somewhere. So I, I well, don't that's really, good. I don't. Yeah. So, wow. Both of your dreams came true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but here I am a priest. Uh, so I'm so thankful to God. I, I wouldn't trade uh, it for anything. I, always, I often, when I was vocation director, when I share my story, I always tell the, the, uh, the young people, if I have to go through that all over again a million times, being hit by that truck like that, uh-huh. to be able to celebrate Mass for just one day, I would. Wow. So going into your second semester after that, so you went, did you, you told your mom everything that happened. So I was so afraid. I hid it from her. Oh, wow. Because I was afraid she was worried about me because, you know, <laughs> she worried about me for all oh, my course, life yeah. up yes. to that point. It's just so another thing. So I waited thing, yeah. until everything settled down. Uh-huh. The week later, I told mom what happened. She ordered me. She sent. She got the the airplane ticket and ordered me to come home <laughs> so she can seize me to make sure I was okay. <laughs> Inspect yeah. you for any scars and scratches I, and yeah. broken bones or anything yeah. like that. That was wild. So when you you went back into this, the next semester, you're invigorated now. I'm invigorated. You're, now, you know, school was still difficult. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I, from the perspective of commitment and spiritual life, I was a lot more committed. I think because of that moment of grace, I come to appreciate a life, how fragile it is, uh-huh. and how blessed we are. That moment of revelation was like that everything you have, everything you are, everything you have up to this point is not yours. They are pure gift from God. So I think that sense of gratitude really affected me. So I grew, I grew deeper in, in my prayer life, in spirituality, in the deep appreciations of, before I was complaining about the seminary, oh, uh-huh. why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Oh, I don't like this person. Now it's like gratitude. The fact that I could be here is a blessing from God. So 
you know, I have all the issue I have to deal with, right? Like my own formation. Yes, of course. Uh, and uh, school continue to be hard. It doesn't uh-huh. get easier. Now, as I study more, I get better at it. You know, I get used to it. And uh, I continue to develop very deep friendship. And and uh, so it keep growing. The relationship with God and the desire for the priesthood keep growing in me, allowing me to really discover the call that God has called me to. Yeah. Did you have a lot of fellow seminarians that discerned out? Yeah, there's a number of them. My class, my own class that started out together, 15 of us. As Today, there's five of us who are serving as priests. So 10 of them discerned out. What was that like seeing one of your friends, classmates? I have to say it was hard because um, I wasn't the brightest guy in the seminary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of these guys I really look up to both in terms of their holiness, their discipline, their English is a lot better. I was very shy in the seminary. Uh-huh. Very, very shy. I was- Still. Oh, geez. You know, like every time I was assigned to go up and, and do a reading, uh-huh. like the first reading, I was going to die. Really? That's how shy I was. <laughs> like I, It's a miracle that I could be a priest today and preaching and have so much energy. But I was so scared. Every time it was my turn to do the lecturing, I thought I was, I literally have to hang on to the ambo to be able to read. That's wow. how shy I was. Wow. This is all God's grace. So I, um, I, uh, I watched these guys who are a lot more outgoing, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more articulate, intelligent, uh-huh. and a lot holier. But then they discern out and I thought, man, how could that be? They should be the last guy to live, me. And I was like, God, I think there's something messed up here. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's like if, if there are Vegas odds on it, That's they right. would have been the ones I gotta be, that I you would, would put I your would money be, on. I would be probably the second guys to leave and those guys will, will be the future bishop, you know? If so there was, were betting odds yeah, on it. Yeah. Wow. So it's like, I'm like the, the worst odd, you know? <laughs> and then, so that's why when these guys start leaving, it's like, I, I started even questioning myself. Well, if, if he can't make it, how am I going to make it? Uh-huh. I remember thinking myself that way. And, um, you know, and, but we talked with spiritual director and he guided us too. And yeah. And, uh, you know, some of these men, I still keep in contact with them. Some of my great friend in the seminary, they, they leave, but they're now they, they're wonderful uh, dad and husband. And some of them are serving in, in the church. And, uh-huh. you know, and just like my pastor said, what they've learned in the seminary now, they're using it to serve in the church. So I, I admire them for coming in to, to discern. And trying it out, yes. That's right, yeah. Now, we had a few of the, a couple of deacons here, Father David Michael also talk about, and even Monsignor Borski talk about pranks that happen in the seminary. Did a lot of pranks happen <laughs> yeah. while you were in the seminary? Oh, yeah, we were. Yeah. yeah. 18 years old, running around, living together. <laughs> what do you expect? It, it was, it was kind crazy. Of, I what thought, kind of things happened? I thought we were going to be with the saints. And then <laughs> I very quickly find out these guys are not saints at all. Oh, what gosh. kind of things? Can, so can you like remember? one class would go against the other class. Things like, you know, we would go to sleep. Uh, and then the guy in the other class, they would come and they would, because the dorm, right, you live in the in room next to each other and across from each other. Uh-huh. So sometimes they would come and they get a, a, a rope 
and they would tie one knob door knob to another. <laughs> so and you can't get out. Well, we share a bathroom. Uh-huh. It's common bathroom. So you get up in the morning and take a shower and go to the bathroom and take a shower before you go to <laughs> to, to the chapel. So you're you locked in your room. Locked, you can't get out. <laughs> and then they until would, they're done with the bathroom, then yeah. then they'll let you guys and out. They would take something like fish sauce or shrimp paste and they put it on a, on your door knob. Oh, and you wake up in the morning, have have uh, your eyes have open, right? And you touch like oh, <laughs> fish sauce. So what we did was. We went out to the marketplace. Uh huh. We got a fresh fish. Oh no! And we came back to their room, and we 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 want to make sure they don't find it. Okay. So we got a chair. We open up the vent uh, <laughs> on the wall near the ceiling. Put the dead put the dead fish inside. <laughs> screw it back. <laughs> and you left it there for a couple of days until they for a week. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that must have smelled horrible, and they're looking all over the place for this smell, right? I think we're gonna go to purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, kind. Oh, it's, it was a wild. A time. dead fish inside the air conditioning unit. Yep, yep. <laughs> Just rotting in the air conditioning unit. Hey, that's what you get. They get for putting shrimp paste on a doorknob. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> Were you targeted specifically for anything? Well, we did a lot as as a like one as class a against uh-huh. another. It was was very very bad, very bad. We even did it to the to the faculty. Oh, really? <gasps> what did you do to the now, faculty? He's now a bishop. <laughs> he was he was a he was a spiritual director in the seminary. Okay, he was kind of tough with us, you know. So it was like, man, we got to get him. So. <laughs> At night, he would leave his door open while he go to the the library to print, because he have to give talk to the next. Day. So we waited for him to leave. Then we took this big statue of uh, Moses in the library, and we snuck inside his room. A statue. Yeah, and we put, you know, on the toilet. We put the lid down. Okay. Put the statue on the toilet, and we turned it off, and we waited. <laughs> And the poor, poor guy came back. He opened up his, he turned on the light. You could hear the scream. <laughs> we, we were in so much trouble. How many of oh, you did that? Oh my. Was As it, a class. The whole like class. a bunch of us get together. Some guys wouldn't participate in something like that, you know. <laughs> He's now a bishop. <laughs> what did you, what was your punishment for that? Oh, we, ah, we, we were grounded. Ah. Uh, we, we were in so much trouble. Golly. A statue of Moses on top of the toilet in his bathroom. <laughs> he walks in, turns on the light, and there's Moses staring at him. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot of wild thing. It's a uh, like a fun time, you know, fun time. You don't have too much, uh, you know, you're still in college. You, uh-huh. Just having a good time. Yeah, you're young guys. Pray, you're young guy, you, still you immature. Im- yeah. Immature, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Now, another another thing that some of the uh, other guests that we had talk about were chalice chippers. Was that a term that was used back then? Girls that would try to hang around with seminarians? Oh. Or maybe, you know, chalice chippers, uh, <laughs> cassock chasers, <laughs> or... Did no, you call I it think, that at the time? No. No. You know what? I didn't hear that uh, that term when I was in the seminar. Maybe I was a bit naive. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we we live in the seminary 
but on Sunday, it's open to the public to come. Uh-huh. And uh, also, we go to school at the uh, university. Yes. And you know, at that age, gosh, you, you have puppy loves, and yeah, you know, I mean, so I remember sometime this when we have mass, and you know, you you live together with these guys a whole week, and. S- Beautiful girls come into the seminary to celebrate mass, and you're like, "Wow, she's so beautiful!" You, know, uh-huh. you just, we say, you just, you just admire God's beauty, you know. Of course, <laughs> yeah. you can't help and but then, admire. Yeah. And then you go to the uh, university campus, and you you make friends with these uh, uh, guys and girls, and a lot of them are very they are beautiful inside out, and mm-hmm. I was attracted to some of them. You know, I still remember some of them like, wow, if I was in the seminary, I would love to date them mm-hmm. you know, because they, they are, they love God and they have a strong faith and I have admiration for them. And I, and yeah, so I, I, you still, it's very real. I think it's just like for any man, you know, who are married, you are committed yes. or you're dating, you still find maybe another man or another girl attractive, you know, for a lady, she might find somebody besides her her boyfriend or her husband something attractive about yes it. so uh, we are attracted to to beauty and to to things that are good but the key is in the seminary when we are attracted like that one we talk with our spiritual director two we bring it so that we can be renewed in our commitment to the lord it's like a husband he might go on a a a trip uh, on a uh, on a work trip, mm-hmm. and he may find his colleagues uh, or someone else there very attractive. Uh-huh. But he recommit his life to his wife and his children, and uh, so that's what we do in our uh, seminary. Sometimes we'll find other uh, ladies very very attractive, uh-huh. and, but we have to uh, fall back to to prayer and to recommit ourselves to to uh, our commitment. And so I think that the, that's very human, especially at that age. And we learn those things in the seminary. I find that a lot of time it it take me all to my knees, and also to share deeper with my spiritual director and allow me to be more committed. Because love is not really love until it hurts. When you choose something, uh-huh. by the very fact of choosing and deciding, you're giving up something else. Otherwise, that decision. It's not that meaningful because you haven't given up yet. Many times I think to myself, I could be married and uh-huh. be, a, be a, a good dad and a very good husband. Um, but I made a decision to choose a, a celibate life so that I can serve. You know, like right now, I have a lot of freedom to serve. Uh-huh. You know, if I have, I have an emergency now, you know, if I'm, let's say if I'm married and, and my child has an emergency and I get an emergency it's uh, harder for, to, yeah. We, so this yeah. gives me a lot of freedom to serve, a lot of freedom to serve, uh, which I love. Yeah. This this Paris become my life, my family, my bride. The church is our bride, you know. So four years in the seminary, uh, taking philosophy in Dallas. Then we transfer to St. Mary's Seminary in Houston. Okay. We study uh, uh uh, master, uh, get the, gradu- uh, the graduate degree in theology. theology. Uh-huh. And during those four years, uh, we do one year of internship being in a parish. So okay. a total of nine years altogether. If, 
if you go after high school, some guys go after they have a degree already. Okay. After college, then it's seven years, two years to study philosophy and four years to study theology plus a year of internship. We call it pastoral year. And then where did you... So the four years that you were here in St. Mary Seminary, this is just all seminarians. There's no classes with anyone else, right? I mean, you're uh, secluded pretty much. Yeah, we live inside a seminary and we go to school in the seminary. In the seminary, okay. Uh, some of those classes, the seminary open to lay people to come in. So there's a few here and there come in and study those classes with us. But this time we just in the seminary, yes. And so you were a little closer to home then. So That's you saw right. your family a little more. It was beautiful, yeah. I was really looking forward to go back to Houston. Uh, one thing about being a diocesan priest, like a religious order priest, for example, the Franciscan, uh-huh. the Dominicans, the Jesuit, they have their community. So they go to the they go to serve, but at the end of the day, they go back to their community. Okay. Now we are diocesan priests. In the old day, they call it secular priest. Now okay. they call it diocesan. We belong to a diocese. Okay. A lot of it comes from the Gospel of John. Jesus said, they don't belong to the world any more than, than I belong to the world, but I pray you don't, you don't take them from the world, but I send them into the, I consecrate them and send them into the world. So the Asin priests or secular priests are the ones that live in the secular world, live with the people mm-hmm. so that uh, we are here with the people, for the people. And that's our life of service. That's why when I first came out here, the, I remember the coroner tell me, as soon as you can build your, your house, you're living on the property. Uh-huh. Because when there's a priest there, it means that he's there for the people, with the people. You know, um, that's what diocesan priests do. So our community is our people here. And then we foster our own friendship with our family and friends that... Uh, you know, in, in every life, you need meaningful relationship to, to sustain and, and support you to, to live that vocation well. Yeah. Did you ever consider joining an order? Actually, I have. Even to this day, sometimes I give some thought to it. Really? What order, if um, ever? I have a fascination for missionary work. Uh, that's why I love. It is my dream that one day uh, when you know, we establish, you know, I, I did this when I first came here. I love to take a group to go and let's say to Vietnam or to a, a country in Latin America and do missionary work for a week or two weeks. You know? uh-huh. uh, I just love being and serving the poor, especially in missionary land, a new language. Uh, uh, I did that a lot as a seminarian and even as a priest. Now I don't get to do it as much since I become pastor here because uh, but I love doing that. I love, I am fascinated with the saints going on, going and live with the poorest of the poor and you, you celebrate mass with them. You're there for them. And uh, I feel very called. I, I love doing that. But at the same time, I love being a pastor. I love being a parish priest. <laughs> so you're still kind uh, of torn as well, huh? But you know, like life, how did they say it? Is here on earth, life is an unfinished symphony. Uh-huh. The day when we go to see the Lord and we have the whole package here, you have to you have to choose and commit to a vocation. It means you won't have other things. Uh-huh. So you celebrate what you have. And the other things then you just, you accept it, you embrace it. Uh-huh. So I embrace the fact that I love missionary work, but because I love being a diocesan priest, 
I have to accept that I don't get to do those things all the time. But when when time permit permit and uh, then I would go. I used to take go on medical mission to Vietnam, and I love it. Really, going to these poor villages with a group of medical doctors and. When was the last time you went? Gosh, it's a long time. It was when I was vocation director. Time was a lot more organized. Like, because mm. during the summer you have a little more right. free time. Yeah. Now well, my life is a mess. <laughs> so you said dur- during, um, during your seminary time, you were able to do certain things. Was that during the summer as well? Yeah, a lot of summer time. I I was part of the the mission group. So we would take like a two weeks mission to to Mexico and to different countries. I love that. What was that like going to those places? it's just beautiful. I remember that time a group of us went and um, these places up in the remote mountain, they don't have mass. The priests rotate to these places. So they have mass maybe once a month. Okay. Uh, So we get to go on that trip and I remember we, we get on the back of this beat up pickup truck that's probably about half 500,000 miles uh-huh. and we drove to the bottom of the the the, the 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 hill the wood where there's no more road okay we pack our water and food and mass kit and then we walk for maybe like an hour and a half two hours all the way up you're just hiking hiking up and when you got there the whole village, it's like, it's like a, a celebration. Everybody was so happy. We came together. We, we go into this little th- place to, to do mass. Uh-huh. It only had like a little roof, right? With, with made out of leaves and trees and things like that. Uh-huh. And you sit there, people just sit there and you start the mass and, in the middle of the way, the dog, the 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 the, the chickens would walk across <laughs> while during mass, and it was uh, it's it's just so beautiful. So it know? was you and some other seminarians as yeah. well, and and the and the priests and there. the priests. Okay. And then you celebrate mass, and then in the evening come we have dinner with them, uh, and then we walked, the whole village walked all the way about a mile with us to the the end of the bottom of the hill and we say goodbye. Wow. And it was so amazing. It was especially amazing for me because I was the only Vietnamese Asian guy that go in that group. Okay. And for some reason, all the kids thought I was Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the most popular guy That's, in that group. It's like, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. <laughs> Bruce Lee. <laughs> you were probably one of the first Asians they've ever seen. Probably, yeah. And the only Asian they know is probably Bruce Lee from the <laughs> movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, a, I was a really popular guy. But I love that. You know, I like, I took our, our, our youth here when we to, to the border for for missionary trip. And I love that. I have a, I just love that so much. Yeah. Maybe we, you can organize something with parishioners on a missionary trip. I will once this year. I one love that's days. my dream. But since day one, I always have that dream that we have a connection so we can bring our people. I think what's so beautiful about that, I want to make that available, especially for our young people. Mm. Yes. Because sometimes I think they grow up always provided for. But when I take them, let's say to Vietnam, and they look into the eyes of these young people who, for them, school 
would be a luxury. Yes. Food on the table would be a blessing if they have it. And being at mass is such a blessing. I think they would begin to come to appreciate how absolutely blessed they are. And, uh, and that's why I really, it's very strong in my heart. I, I've been talking about this with my staff and my team since day one, that that's the dream that I want to take my youth with me and from the parish to do those kind of mission. That would be awesome. Because it allow us, my grandmother used to say that we're like a, like a frog inside a well. We don't, but when we jump out of the well and see the world, we have to see the world. Well, you do that and they begin to see, wow, gosh, I'm so blessed, you know? And if God give us two talents and three talents, we have to find a way to really use it for the good of others, you know? I, I want to scream, you know, to my young people, gosh, you're so blessed. Take advantage of it. Study well. Let your faith grow. When I grew up, because of the common situation, there was mm -hmm. no faith formation class. Yeah. You know, my faith formation class was we go to mass in the morning and dad would teach us the faith. Uh -huh. And on the way back, he would talk to us about the faith and we'll sit at the table and he'd teach us. Yes. And when it's time for, for confirmation or for first Eucharist, we go to the church, the priest asks us a set of questions and we get it right and we get it. Uh -huh. um, I learned from that two things. One is the, important of, of faith formation, especially in our tender year to study that. I, I always want to call out the parents, really encourage your children. Mm -hmm. Secondly, what I learned is I've learned so many theology classes in my life. I read so many books. I am convinced that the most valuable, meaningful lessons I learned in life are those times when I sit in my mom and dad's lap. And they teach me this lesson. Mm. They teach me how to pray the rosary. Teach me how to sing uh, a prayer of St. Francis. Make me an instrument of your peace. Teach me those Marian hymns that to this very day, I still sing when I pray privately the rosary. And um, I think those are the most beautiful classes. I call on parents. You know, teach your children. Don't just take them to the church, throw them there and uh -huh. love them teach them especially in their tender age because they will carry it with them for the rest of their lives where did you spend your your internship year uh, it was at St. Jerome Catholic Church I spent a year there with Monsignor Dan Shio it was good it was a great time uh, you only go for one year uh, there's a big need for that because before you go that's a big year as a, a, a Make or, or not, a lot, of, a lot of people either decide to really continue on strong or leave after that. Because you really kind of live in the rectory uh -huh. and work full-time at the church and watch the whole ministry. So this is you living the life that you're That's right. going to. So, so even after all of those years, there's still people who discern out, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it takes it take all those years to discern. Okay. So... Um, Two years before your ordination is usually when you go and do the, the internship to make sure this is really, and also learn. So, and our parish is a very good parish for the diocese to send seminarian. You know, I mean, the, the vocation director already told me he wants to send 
seminarian here. That's oh, why, that's awesome. That's why we try to build uh, the rectory so that yes. we can have priests living there uh, to serve. Yes. But at the same time, have seminarian because this is a very good learning environment. We get the opportunity to make a difference in the life of a future priest who in turn will touch thousands of lives. Yes. So, so I was at St. Jerome and uh, I was so blessed. Monsignor Dan Shio was a, a great priest and it's a wonderful community there that uh, uh, I learned so much uh, both uh, and then practice a lot of Spanish there. It's a, a good Spanish speaking uh, community. What year was this? That was the year 2000. Okay. Yeah. So, so you spent the whole year there. I spent the whole year there uh, uh, at that parish, and uh, I love it, love it. Yeah, by that time I was I was pretty gung ho about being a priest. I yeah. can imagine because after all of those years yeah. of struggling through the seminary in Dallas, yeah. and then another four years here in Houston, yeah. you're finally okay. Now I get to live the life. That's right. Now I can <laughs> do the work that I've wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just scary because at the end of at the end of your pastor year, yes, uh, the parents evaluate you. Okay, and then you go back to the seminary and the faculty seminary every year. At the end of the year, you sit down, and the faculty will evaluate you, and they'll make a decision whether or not they'll invite you to continue. And it's scary. It's every year. Every year. <laughs> so you sit down in front of a panel. Yes. So it's like several people. Yeah. Sitting there, and you're alone in yeah. your chair. Yeah. So your friend. So they sent out like evaluation to your friend, to the people that know you. They evaluate you. They read all of that up. They make a summary. Uh-huh. And then you sit in front of about seven, eight priests and faculty. Uh-huh. And they ask you question and they evaluate you. After that, they make a decision on you. <laughs> wow. Do you still remember what it was like being sitting in that chair? Yeah. I remember thinking I need an ambulance waiting for me outside because you know, if I don't, I was always scared that if I don't make it, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? I want to be a priest. Yeah. Scary. How many, how many times do you do that? Every, every single so, year? Nine years, nine times. Nine times. Yeah. Wow. Was there a, any point where you thought, oh no, they're going to say no? Definitely. Especially the first few years. Oh, when you were struggling. Oh yeah. I always thought I'm not going to make it. If that guy didn't make it, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, just watching your classmates and friends just drop off. And yeah, yeah. Finally, at the end of that, that pastoral year, you go back into the seminary, and then what happens? Do you have another year or so? Two years. Two years. Yeah, but when I go back to the seminary, I was on fire because I saw ministry. Yes. I saw the need. I know what I need to focus on. Uh-huh. I was very focused when I come back to the seminary. So you come back for one year and then you be ordained a deacon. And yes. a year later, you're ordained a priest. So it was exciting. Where did you spend your diaconate year? Uh, it was out in Pasadena, St. Pius V. In the old day, we didn't spend as much time in the parish like the seminarians nowadays, which is beautiful. Uh-huh. We just go out to the parish every other weekend and just help with mass. That's it. That's all. Okay. Yeah. So you're not really that involved, unlike your... Your, yeah, unlike the seminary now, they did a lot yes. more involved. So, or unlike that one year that you spent. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So so you spent that year going back and forth. Yeah. Every other week. Yeah. And then finally. So you, you live in the seminary, you continue to study, but in the weekend you go out to the parish. Okay. To help with the mass. Yeah. And then when you reached your ordination. Oh. What what date was that? What was what's your ordination? So priestly date? ordination. Yes, May the seventeenth, two thousand and three. 
I remember it like yesterday. What was it like? Tell us about oh, that day, because that is your wedding day. It is. Tell it us about is it. It's my wedding day, and I would say it's the happiest day in my life. Gosh. So there was five of us from this diocese, and uh, I was the youngest one. I at the time I was twenty-seven years old. Okay, and um, we walked up. It was at St. Jerome because believe it or not, that was before the, the new co-cathedral was built. St. Jerome was one of the bigger church that could hold more. Okay. And our class was a bigger class in a long time. There was five of us. And we walked in. And of course, my parents, my family were sitting there. I caught their eyes and we looked at each other and we knew for this moment to come, uh-huh. it's been a long, tough, impossible journey. Yes. So I caught their eyesight and all of that was running inside of me. And the music was playing beautifully, triumphantly and walked up. And uh, after the gospel reading, the archbishop did the homily mm-hmm. and he called us forth. And before we make the vow, it's a very beautiful rite the candidate lie prostrate on the ground as a sign of, Lord, we're, we're nothing. Yes. You're about to call us to be a priest, but we, we are on the ground. We are, we are dust and to dust we shall return. So we lay prostrate on the ground. Yeah, face down. Uh-huh. Face down. And they begin to call on the saint. The, it's called the, the litany of the saints was okay. being sung. And as I'm lying down, and this beautiful litany, the saints was being called. God, at that moment, was playing a video right in front of my eyes. God took me back, all the way back to Vietnam. To the first time I left Vietnam, to the time I was celebrating mass at home, uh-huh. to the time I was in prison, to the second time I left by boat, stopped by pirates, to the time I was a beggar, I was serving mass, uh-huh. the gun was shooting, it's barely alive, to the time I came to the United States, trying to learn English, feeling lost, depressed, yes. to the accident, through the seminary, to that very moment, the only difference is, as he played that video, he was always standing next to me every single step of the way. Wow. To that very moment, I was, it was like eternity. I was lying there on the floor and he was looking at me. And you are about to be my priest. And I started crying helplessly like a baby. It was so embarrassing <laughs> because I was on the phone. <laughs> Nobody knew what was going on. Wow. I was like. <laughs> yeah, because all of it's coming back to you. All of that. And Jesus was playing that, that whole video right in front of my eyes. <sighs> and the guy who was emceeing for the mass, uh-huh. I didn't realize in the old day, after your ordination, the bishop said, congratulations, here's your assignment. You open up and you find out where you're going. Yes. So 
but they already let the pastor know ahead of time. So the guy who was helping at that mass, he already knew that I was being assigned to assist him. He told me later that at the ordination, when I saw you like crying like that, I was thinking to myself, oh no, they're sending me a cry baby. <laughs> <laughs> but he had no idea. Oh, your story and everything that you've God been through. was touching yeah. me at that moment. Yeah. And I couldn't stop crying until the end of the ordination, right? I could barely make it through. Wow. <sighs> it was such a moment of grace. And then when the bishop anointed my hands and, you know, and uh, it was amazing. Did I, you think about that time that you were on the back of that motorcycle with your dad, disappointed that you couldn't? Yeah, all of that was in there. It's just like everything went through my mind. And uh, so that was just, that's just glorious. And your family was all there. They were all there. So we give big thanks to God. And, and then the next day I did my first mass. Now that was moving. What was that like? You're doing your very first mass because you were practicing it since you were a child. Well, it was in Vietnamese because my parents uh, they wanted spoke you to more do Vietnamese. Uh -huh. So I went to Vietnamese martyr and my parents and my family sat in the front and I was a nervous wreck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I say mass correctly and, of course. and, and, and set the right word. I don't want the mass to be uh, invalid. You know? Yes, yes. I just remember... At the time of the consecration, when I said, take this and eat, this is my body, which will be given up for you. I choked up. Yeah, your first I time. I couldn't believe. Yeah. yeah. Here I am. You know, God knows how broken I am and uh -huh. how messed up and where I've been. Mm -hmm. And here I am saying the mass and this bread that I hold before me through the errands of my word, through ordination, is becoming the body of Christ. I couldn't believe it. I'm at awe. But to this day, every time I celebrate Mass, I still feel the same thing. Of course. The honor and, of being able to, to, and, to do yeah. that. And when I lift up, gosh, I, could, I couldn't believe it. I feel so small. Like, like how could that be? St. St. John Vianney, who's a patient, saying a priest said this, a priest will never completely understand his priestly office because if he does, he would die, not out of fear, but out of love. How can God call such an, a small, unworthy being? But not because he loved the priest, he loved his people. So he always say, I will give you shepherds so he can give of himself to the community, you know? So I celebrate Mass always with awe, always with awe and gratitude. So after that first Mass, you immediately report to your assigned parish? Is yeah, that what happens? That's right. And which so, parish was that? It's called Holy Name Parish. I, uh, <laughs> so you, you have like a, a, a few weeks off. So okay. you can travel and spend time with your family doing Thanksgiving Mass and, I, uh, so I was in my short, it was the summer. I drove to the parish to check it out. Wow, uh -huh. what does that parish look like, right? Well, by that time, I didn't know, the parish already know there's a priest by the name of Father Dad Huang uh -huh. coming to the parish. So I walked into, it was, I remember it was after lunch. I went in there. It was like about two o'clock in the afternoon. I went into the church just to check it out. Thinking that you were 
nobody would know who you were. No, nobody knows. I was in my short. I'm a little high school guy, right? <laughs> yeah, you look and like then, you're in high school, but you're 27 right. years old. That's right. I used to look very young. And uh, this one lady stopped me, this couple, right? She stopped and said, hello. I said, hi. Uh, she said, what's your name? I'm, my name is Dad. She said, are you the new priest who's coming here soon? I was like, oh no, I'm in my short. <laughs> so, but I can't lie. You know? right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so I said, in fact, I am. I just come, I'm still on, I'm not, have not start. I just come here to, to look at the church. So, oh, hi, Father, welcome. And she, uh, she said, second question, do you speak Spanish? Mm -hmm. And I said, si, un poco, a little bit. Uh -huh. And I'll never forget, she said, Thank you, Father, for speaking our language. Wow. It's like, okay. Sure. And I, I went away. And a few weeks later, I showed up that, at Paris that weekend. Golly, I was so young. So uh, we, 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 I sat there and first confession in my life, I sat in that new parish. That Saturday evening, afternoon, I was in there. Uh huh. This big guy walked in face to face. And he started out, in a number del Padre, del Hijo, del Espíritu Santo, amen. And he started confessioning in Spanish. I thought I've learned Spanish well. And I said, I have not a single idea what he was saying. He was so fast. <laughs> oh, he just poured <laughs> his he heart out. Me, he just I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and then at the end, I, I look up the paper, the, the absolution word, and I... Mm -hmm. And then he walked away. I could tell he was so happy because he knew I didn't know a thing. You know? <laughs> remember, so you thought you, you could understand what he was going to say. I know. But I he was. Yeah, I took a lot of Spanish. But when you're in the situation, it's like, yeah. oh. I remember looking at the cross in the confession and said, Lord, are you sure you want me to be here? I don't think I can do this. <laughs> oh, it was so scary. And. Uh, but you had taken Spanish classes. I took some Spanish classes. You know, but at the time it was, it was nothing. I mean, over the years, I get to practice. So, uh -huh. and um, I remember that was the first memory of my first confession. And then I do the mass, and the pastor introduced me to the community. The pastor was very young. He became pastor for the first time. He's younger than, he was like in his, he's like 30 something, and I was like 27. Oh, okay. So both so of you were young. He introduced ourselves to the community. Uh -huh. he, he went to the parish. Uh, so he introduced us to, and he said, by the way, everybody keep asking, how old is Father Dad? Because he looks so young. Just to be clear, he's 16 and I'm 18. <laughs> and I remember there was a, a tough rung, tough lady in the back. Bless her heart. She said, I'm not going to confession with those kids. <laughs> <laughs> she actually thought you were 16 and 18 probably, huh? Yeah, I was so young. I really looked really young those days. And uh, Well, it's the Asian blood. That's what it it's is. It's the Asian blood, yeah. <laughs> But you know, I had a great, that was my first love, you know, as a priest. And I just felt in love with the people. I loved that parish. I uh, had a great time. How I long was, were you there? I was there two years. Two years with uh, Father Oscar Cantu. He's now the Bishop of San Jose. He was my pastor, yeah. Got together really well. I learned so much from him. Had a great time together. And then they moved to me. Where? Then they moved me to St. Mary Magdalene. With Monsignor Paul Porcella. God rest his soul. He, he passed away. When did he pass away? 
um, when we were still in the school, I remember when I came out here, he retired. He was such a good priest. He loved his people so much. His wife, he was married, and his wife had a hard time, and she, uh, this everybody know his story. She committed suicide. Wow. He came home one day and she have she have died. And a few years later, you know, he was always involved in the church. They asked him if he ever thought about being a seminary. So he did. His son became a priest. Wow. And because of his suffering, he was an incredibly loving priest. Wow. To like, recover from your yeah. spouse committing suicide. Yeah. To- he did yeah. He didn't have any kid. I, I remember like I went to the hospital with him. Sometimes very difficult situation, but he has such a way of being that the minute he walked into the hospital, people felt the love and God's presence. Wow. Because of his own suffering. And uh, he was so good to me. He was like a grandpa. He, when, when the cardinal, after I was there for two years, and uh-huh. when the cardinal reassigned me to be vocation director, his heart was broken. Aww. And we kept on the relationship. When he retired, I would go to the, the, the priest's retirement home and take him out to eat. And he called me every single week when I was sent out here. Really? He would, uh, he would tell awesome. me, oh, I'm praying for you. You can do it. We can do it. Uh, you can do it, Dad. He, very encouraging. And uh, I miss him. I preached at his funeral mass. Wow. What very year was blessed. that? <sighs> That's probably about four years ago. I can't remember the exact year. Okay. But, uh, so you said that you were asked to become vocation director. Yeah. What was that like after spending those great years in the parishes? Yeah. So four years in the parish and the cardinal called one day and he asked if I would be his, his vocation director. I think he knew me because at the time I was serving as his MC. When the cardinal first came here, uh, he needed someone to be his master of ceremony for all the masses. Okay. So at the time, um, because I did that in the seminary, he asked me to do it. So for two years, I was doing that with him. Uh, while I was being parochial vicar, uh-huh. whenever he has confirmation or big diocesan mass, I would be there serving him. In fact, when the, the new co-cathedral was dedicated, I was the MC for that mass. Nice. It's very honor, yeah. So um, I think after that, uh, I think because he knew me, he asked me if I would serve as vocation director. And so I did. Very honored. Very grateful to Cardinal Dinardo for allowing me to do those things because I've learned a lot. I learned to, while I was vocation director, I, I get to work with seminarians. I work with young people, inviting them to discern, to fall uh-huh. in love with the Lord. And so I come to have a deeper appreciation for the call uh, also the deeper appreciation for the priesthood and religious life. And and I loved it. I did that for seven years. Yeah. Was it hard letting go of parish life after spending four years? Well, at the, the time, I wasn't a, a pastor yet. Uh-huh. Uh, I was Parukovika. Parukovika, we kind of know we'll go to a parish and after maybe two or three years, they'll move us. Okay. So you love people. As a priest, you become part of people's life. Like uh, people get sick and you're there for them. And then let's say if their loved one die, you are there for them. Mm-hmm. And when you leave, you, you kind of become a part of their life. You know? yes. for, now for a parochial vicar, even though you're there for a short time, but you do 
you enter into people's lives very quickly. So when I leave in that sense, it was hard because you, you go and attach to it. Now, as a pastor, you stay in a place longer. And yes. Like if I have to go now, I probably gotta die. Oh. You know, because you, you really become very much a part. You live with the people, yes. right? They're your family. You, you die and rise. Yeah. That's the one thing I don't like about the Austin priesthood is if after a while you have to move. Yes. Uh, because uh, it, one, it's, it's both good for the, 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 the community and for the priests. You know, let's say if people can't stand me, you know, so they finally have a new priest after a while. <laughs> <laughs> and also if the priest has his grace or talent, he can share it at somewhere else. Yeah. Places. And, but also if, if uh, he has something that drives people nuts, people don't have to put up with him for too long. <laughs> but, but your heart does break, especially, you know, I know, you know, I, because I'm building, so I, I get to be here for a while, but I dread the day when that happened. It'll be heartbreaking for me because you really become, one of the things I love of being a priest is you really become part of people's lives. Yes. When I celebrate Mass here on Sunday, I look out to the community, I know a lot of story. When people go up to receive communion, I set the body of Christ and I give to them. I look into their eyes. I know a lot of story that nobody else know about yes. this soul and this person. <laughs> so you're very attached to them, you know? Like, this is my life, my people. So as a, a parochial vicar, you don't feel that so much now. Because you're pastor, not there as long. Yes. Pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I went to become vocational, it was hard to say goodbye to the parish in that sense because of those connections. Yes. Some of those connections I still keep to this day. And yes. that's been years now. Um, so, but being a disciple of Christ and when you say yes, on the day of your, your, your ordination, you say, you make the, the promise of obedience yes. to the bishop and his successor. And you know that your life is not a priest is no longer himself, but he lives for God and for his people. Mm -hmm. So he goes and he serves. And whenever God through his bishop call him, he's always in the spirit to, to go, go where he's called to go. Yeah. Now you spent seven years as vocation director. What was that like being on that side of the table? Yeah. <clears throat> First of all, I think that, uh, it's kind of nice because in the old day, right? I'm sitting there being evaluated. Now yes. I'm evaluating them. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're part of that uh, panel now. That's right. But I would say if I can sum it up, it would be all, all is God's grace. Because I have to say that uh, you could, first of all, the way that God calls, everybody is so different. It's like, if you ask every couple, they have a different love story of how they met. Yes. In a very similar way, every priest, every religious that are called to religious life and priestly life mm -hmm. and consecrated life has a different love story. And you could see God's hands in it. It's beautiful. And second of all, you get to see the human side of it. You know, I, I shared about the prank in the seminary, yes. my English, and you could see that God carry us and God 
does not call the perfect. He perfect the one he calls. He give grace and he mold them. And it's it's a lifelong journey. Uh, I remember Pope John Paul II talks a lot about that. God continue to form us all our life. It doesn't stop being formed. So, and you see that God's grace is so real. Uh, I have many instances when my eyes are really open to God's grace. For example, <clears throat> when I first started out, I was. What am I supposed to do? Where do you go find vocations? Uh-huh. Who do you talk to? <laughs> What am I doing here? I just, you know, I just become a priest for four years. Now I'm vocation director. What am I going to do? Who do I talk to? Did you feel unworthy? Amazingly, absolutely, infinitely unworthy. Uh huh. And I was lost. I was a lost soul. So I remember that day. I was so stressed out, and uh, I thought, okay, forget it. I'm so stressed out. I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna. Uh, it's too bright. I don't have an evening appointment. I don't know who to meet. I'm gonna go out to the golf course and hit some golf and de-stress. So I went to Shop Town, Bel Air. Afterward, I can eat some Vietnamese soul food there, right? Uh huh. So because I play by myself, they pair me with another guy, and we play. And when we were walking up to The green of the last 18 hole. The guy turned around and asked me, "Hey, by the way, what do you do for a living?" Uh huh. I said, uh, "I'm a Catholic priest." I said, "Yeah. Oh, well, where? What parish?" I said, "In fact, I'm the new vocation director of the archdiocese. Uh, my job is to go out and talk with young people and recruit and invite them to join the seminary. So, hey, if you ever thought about a sem- seminary, uh, said, oh, in fact, I'm Catholic, Father. I said, "Where do you go?" John Vianney. Uh huh. And he said, uh, "Yeah, I, I've been going to church there. I've been going to adoration." So I said, "Hey, you know, if you ever want to become a priest, hey, uh, think about it. Give me a call." I took out my brand new card, fresh business card, vocation uh-huh. director, with my phone email. I gave it to him, and hey, nice meeting you. you know, call me if you ever want to talk. Showing up, few months later, almost a year, he called me. He said, "Father, I was, I was going to adoration and was. I started to feel the call, but I'm trying to run away from it. And of all the place in the world, out <laughs> in the golf course, on that one day, I got paired up with the brand new vocation director of the archdiocese. Yeah, what are the odds? So today, he's Father Justin serving." Out there at Saint Ignatius in wow. our diocese, isn't that amazing? Wow, that's grace. That's grace. And then you get to see these guys. They come in. Some some are still immature. Some still try to figure out. Some have their own defects. You get to know mm-hmm. them a lot. And you literally watch them over the year. How God, how they grow, and how God make a difference in their life. You know, when I saw Father David Michael. Mm-hmm. This is a young kid. Yeah, he's fairly mature for his age at that time. Uh-huh. I feel very strong about him. But now he's he's like a great priest. I'm glad I treated him well. I when I was his vocation, <laughs> you know, <laughs> know I'm dealing with him. <laughs> And some guys, you thought like, oh man, I remember I had a, I had two guys come in together. They were friend, right? Uh huh. They came in to see me as vocation director and. 
one guy has like long hair and he like right away in my mind said, okay, he's not going to make it, but I'm going to focus on his friend. <laughs> his friend, uh -huh. you know, very solid, sharp, great. And so I said, it's good to come together. I got to treat them, you know. Okay. So I, I work with the two of them, especially with his friend. Mm -hmm. Well, the guy that I didn't think that was going to make it because he looked, he had long hair and he, he ended up become a great priest now, now in the diocese and his friend never he joined the seminary. Out. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, so you see that God call us not because of who we are, but because of who God is. He just loves it. St. John Paul, the second call is a mystery. It's a call. A call is a mystery. A call to, to marry life. There is millions of ladies in the world. Yes. Why do you meet your particular wife? Um, God and Renault always say it, that remember that God brought you together to lead that vocation so that as a husband, you can be Christ to your spouse as Christ was to the church. So I saw that the mystery of vocation is so beautiful. When God made us, created and bring us into this world, he has, he, create into, he created us in his image and likeness so that we can be loved by him eternally and infinitely. And he didn't create us out of accident. There's a purpose for each and every one of us. And through that call, we live our life to the full so that we can journey toward that place, heavenly place, where we will be eternally loved by Lord. So the fact that we're breathing, we're living, is out of love. And we are most ourselves when we live, when we discover who God calls us to be. And that's why it was with that conviction that I go out and I tell young people, you have to discern because God put you here on this earth not out of accident, but for a reason, for a purpose. And you have to discover that. Don't just ask yourself, I used to tell them, what do I want to be? How much money I'm going to make? Uh -huh. Ask yourself, God, what do you want me to be? Mm. And let the Spirit guide you. And uh, so I, I took a lot of, uh, I had a lot of conviction to, to call young people to that. And so I, I went out and I did that with a lot of passion, a lot of conviction, because I knew as Jesus go out and call, he didn't wait for Peter and John and James and to come to, he, he went out to the boat and said, hey, come after me and I will make you fish up men. And he helped them to discover who they are. In the same way, we have to go out and we lend a voice to Jesus and we call on these young people to really discern and be not afraid to discover that and give their lives to God. Give their lives for the good of others, people, because that's who we are. If we, if we begin to live a life for others, God, Jesus, show us the image, right? We were created in image, image and likeness of uh -huh. God. And that image is most perfectly revealed on the cross when he poured out everything he had for us. And if we pattern our life after that, in whatever we do, 
whatever vocation that God called us to, then we find a deep meaning in life. All the other stuff, it comes and go and it doesn't last. What is it like seeing young men discern out being their vocations director? So as their vocation director, when they're in the seminary, I'm always there as a cheerleader, always encourage. Uh-huh. When they're discerning, if they begin to share with me they are discerning out, I want to make sure that they go through proper discernment. Okay. That they take their time. They don't do it out of their emotion or maybe because, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love. Maybe I'm not called or I'm struggling. No. But they have to discern from the place of peace and deep relationship with God. That was my job. I okay. want to make sure that they were at that place when to make that decision. And once I know they are there uh-huh. to make that decision, then I'm happy for them. I said, you go. What was important was to discern with God and to, to have the freedom, you know, to make that, that decision. But once they discerned it with that freedom and that peace and that, that connectedness with God, I said, you go. Because I know if you are married, you'll be a great, will be a great, husband and god has another plan for you god has a plan for you so i'm gonna want instead of just you being a priest i'm gonna want your two boys and two girls to be two (laughs) nuns (laughs) but you know the key is to really discern and to be totally open to god and whatever it is all vocations are beautiful but we have to really discern it and 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 lead away leave a life for others uh then then i think it's it's beautiful occasionally i have uh Man, that maybe when when they make a decision, I felt the the discernment was not at the place it should be. Okay, and even though I try hard to get them there, but they were they were already made up their mind. It's hard for me now. That hurts me when I see that. Few time, but a lot of time, most of them make very good decision because they have they have the help with spiritual director in the seminary to help with that. Yeah. What about guys that want to enter? the seminary, but for some reason or other, they're, they're rejected. What are the, the common reasons for That's that? That's hard. That's very, very hard because when you, people may not know this, but in order for a guy just to get to the seminary before starting the seven or nine years of continuous evaluation, they have to go through a lot of vetting. Okay. Um, so first, you have to, I get to know them. And then they had to begin to lead a line of prayer to discern. And then they go through a series of long interview, everything about, they write an autobiography about them. Okay. And then based on that autobiography, we ask tons of questions about all the aspects of their life, psychological, uh, uh, um, uh, sexual, psychological, human, intellectual. They have to submit their, their um, uh, resume. They have to, I mean, they have to submit their, their school grades, uh-huh. their, their references, uh, recommendation by priests, their pastors, priests. And they have to do a psychological evaluation. They have to answer like tons of questions and based on these tools, the psychologists, based on these tools, give an evaluation. Then with all of 
with those tons of interviews, summaries, with the psychological evaluation, with the grades, with the references, mm -hmm. a committee read it, and then they go through a lengthy process. So it's a lot of vetting and 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 and. Uh, but I always tell the the young young people, hey, you know, if God calls you to be a priest, even if the Pope try to stop you, you got to become a priest. Uh huh. But if God, is that not your call? Even Pope Francis writes you a nice reference letter. You may not. It's God. It's God's call. So don't just open and be yourself. A discernment is like a, you know, like in a relationship, right? When you know a girl. Yes. And you have a crush on her and you I say, hey, I want to date her. Uh-huh. You just don't go to a girl, like, oh, she's so beautiful. Will you marry me? No. You have to date. You have to know each other. And it's a mutual discernment. You can't just say, I order you <laughs> to be my husband, my wife. Uh -huh. right? No, you have to discern. And it's a mutual discernment. Mm -hmm. Same way when you enter the seminary. This is what I like about discernment and the seminary and formation house. You place your life and your discernment before the church. Lord, I discern that you call me here. Mm -hmm. Now I am myself in it's good, bad, and ugly. And I'm trying to be formed. Now you through the church discern me. And that's why I do this evaluation process. They discern. And if they find a man is not the right fit, that's not his call, they'll uh -huh. say it. They'll say, you should discontinue. Sometimes the seminary say that, or sometimes the man or the woman say that. What is know? the most common reason why somebody would be rejected from It's very different. Oh, I mean, be, be rejected from the seminary. Yes. Okay, so there's, there's either the candidate discern out or the seminary discern for the candidate to leave. Yes. Usually the, most more of the time is the candidate who discerns out. Okay, um, but when the seminary say you should discern, you should you should take some time off uh -huh. or discern other vocation. Most of the time, it could be different thing. For example, to be a diocesan priest, you need to have a certain intellectual capacity because you have to be able to. If you keep failing the class, because you have to, uh, you have to. Have undergraduate and graduate study. Yes. So some guys, that's just not their strength. They have a hard time studying with academics. Okay. With the academics, mm -hmm. so the church might. I mean, you might want to consider being a brother, where you don't require to learn these. Because when you become a priest, you do have to preach and mm -hmm. defend the truth and preach the gospel and all of that. So you have to have some. So sometimes it's because of the academic challenge. Okay. Uh, sometimes it's. Uh, could be the uh, like being a Dawson priest. You have to have a certain uh, ability to relate with people. Okay, you know, like sometimes some guys are more, a lot more reserved. They may be better like living in a contemplative, quiet life mm, rather without than interaction with other. But to be a Dawson priest, like I relate with people every all the time. Yeah, you have to have those have personal be, skills. Kind of have to be a yeah. good relater, you know. And some guys, that's just not their strength. They prefer to kind of live a more quiet. So we kind of said, maybe you should consider. Yeah. What about for guys who are just applying to get into the seminary? What is like the most common thing that will stop you, will stop the person from uh, Various things. Because I look at, a, a, a human person is very holistic. Yes. So you look at them from all different angles. Sometimes it could be 
Yeah, he's great. And he write an essay, but you could tell he's really struggling. Okay. You you figure if he go to the seminary, he he'll be too beat up by the school that he can't have time to be formed by other mm. be formed. Okay. You know, sometimes sometimes maybe he he still he needs to be out to be out in the work uh, to to work a little bit to be mature a little bit more. Okay. Because you you want to make sure he get to a certain maturity level where he's ready to be formed. Once he go to the seminary, he's formed. He's being challenged, and yes, it's like the uh, goal, right? You kind of start putting fire and bent them, and uh-huh. so you want to make sure they're ready for that. So sometimes they may not be ready for that yet. You know, they maybe they're not at the point where they're ready to take a lot of criticism or challenge. And okay, let them go out and uh, be challenged a little bit, or so depend on level you know, maturity and we look at all different angles. Yeah. What surprised you the most about being vocations director? I would say what surprised me the most? Wow. Something that you didn't expect when you were going in there. I think the difficulty of, uh, because human being, I find um, sometimes it's, it's hard to read a person. You know, sometimes you, th- you think you know a person really, really well. But uh, even that is hard to read a person. I find that surprising. Like sometimes I thought there's no way he's going to make it to another two years. And, and then, then he ended up great. <laughs> you know, that surprises me. Or sometimes guys where I think, Oh, he's gonna do great, and then he's really struggling to seminary, and he just wow. couldn't make. So that surprises me a lot. So you t- talked about Father David Michael, and you were also mentioned by Deacon Joseph. Yeah, how was what was how was he like in the seminary? <laughs> so I'm very blessed because I I served for seven years, so I get to know a lot of these a guys. a lot of the priests, yes. a lot of them. I'm uh-huh. very honored and humble by that, and they're all different. Um. For example, when uh, Father David Michael come, every, everybody has their own strength and yes. challenges. You pick that up pretty quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, Father David Michael, for example, he was very bright and talented guy. Uh-huh. But every time I go to the, out to the parents, I saw all those girls after him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, he's a very, you know, his personality. His charismatic. Just attracts his people. His handsome, yeah. he's attractive, very talented. Mm-hmm. And he would make, when I was a Christian, I always look for if a guy to be a good priest, he has quality to be a great husband. Because that's what priest is. You're a father. Uh-huh. You're a spiritual father. You have to have courage. You have to have the uh, ability to die to self. Because you can't be a good husband and a good dad without that mm-hmm. selflessness, you know? Uh-huh. I always look for the guy. I always ask, would he make a great husband? And, and if the answer is yes, I know he would make a good priest. Uh-huh. I always look for those qualities, you know, and so I, um, so, uh, so with Father Michael, I know he's bright. He has no problem with the intellect. You know? uh-huh. um, so his problem was every time I see him, like in, in his youth group, uh-huh. all those girls would after him. So like, it's going to be hard. I got to go. I got to go tell those girls to leave him alone. <laughs> the other thing was, the other thing about Father Michael, he was very talented. Oh, yes. So when you have so many talents, it's hard to choose. Mm. Am I called to the Austin priesthood 
But if I go to the Oscars, what if all those talent is suppressed and I can't use it? Yes. What if I sell better? So I knew he was a very, uh, very talented guy, deeply spiritual, solid. Uh-huh. But he has. That's also the flip coin. Is he has too many talents and he's too attractive. <laughs> so he has his own struggle to. Someone like, uh, like uh, our old Deacon Joseph. Uh, he comes from a beautiful family. He's a great relater. And uh, um, he's just a, a pretty pretty solid guy. Uh-huh. You know? But again, with him, he's a young guy, also attractive. Very charismatic, yes. Very charismatic, you know. So you pray that those girls, are, <laughs> <laughs> you pray that, you know, he doesn't kind of fall in love. And then, because he feels things deeply. Uh-huh. Father Joseph, uh, Deacon Joseph does. He feels things very deeply. So you just pray that while he was studying at UD, he doesn't fall madly in love over the girl. And <laughs> <laughs> so they all have, and also because, you know, he was, uh, his, his, his maturity, you want to make sure that his parents really love him a lot. You know, mm-hmm. and he was, you, you want to make sure he's also have the prop enough maturity to go and be formed. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so every person has his own, you see their own strength and you see their own challenge. And that's another job of vocation, right? You pray really hard for them. How about Deacon Houston? Oh, Deacon Houston. When I was out in the, because I travel into a lot of parishes, that wasn't a blessing that I love. He said he used to hide from you. That's right. <laughs> I used to be known as uh, the aggressive vocation director because I have no, I have no, I have no shame of calling them, you know, because I, I have, when I have conviction, this is what I do. I visited a lot of parishes and I always pray. I said, Lord, I want to be your voice. Mm-hmm. Give me your Holy Spirit. If I see a young man that you prompt me, I'm going to go ask him. It doesn't matter if he's having a girlfriend. He doesn't have a ring on. I go after him. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter if he's dating. So sometimes I would joke, Hulk, Father Dad is coming. Get your boyfriend away from him. <laughs> <laughs> So I went to his parish. He was the, uh, like the altar boy in his parish. He was always very, very proper, okay. solemn. He was doing the incense. It was always very serious. Very, it's like, looks like somebody who loves liturgy. Okay. Just a solid, you know, uh, young man. And so, uh, and, and even my, my, uh, the pastor there, he's my classmate, father too. He thinks, he said, yeah, I think he has a call. So I went after him. Now at the time, his dad, he might have shared this story. <laughs> yes, already. he did. <laughs> his dad did not like that at all. To be honest with you, this is a blessing. I can say this. I, anyway, when I was talking with him and inviting him along and uh, every time I go out to St. Christopher to celebrate mass or do something, I always avoid his dad because <laughs> I thought his dad was going to kill me. <laughs> now his dad's so happy. You know, when God call a person, he also affect and call the family and the people around them too. So yes, it's he, understandable. You know, he explained and, how it, it really, yeah, it really helped his but, family as well. And his dad is very involved now with the Paris yeah. council. Oh, I was so scared of his dad, but you know, I, I saw that. It's very, so when God calls, it's like when you're dating, right? It could be her smile, mm-hmm. or it could be the way she talk, maybe because of her, her joy, 
because the way she sing or something. And you, that's how you get the initial um, attraction, right? Uh-huh. Priestly and religious life is the same way. You have the initial attraction. My initial attraction was the vestment. I love wearing those vestments. Now, you know, that's not the reason why I'm a priest, but that's the initial attraction. I think, so for these men, it's different that I encounter. It's different, different initial attraction. Okay. For uh, Deacon Houston, it was, he, he was, he looked like a great auto server and he loved being around the parish doing that. So I thought. After seven years of being the vocations director, how did you become a parish priest? What happened? Did <laughs> yeah. the, the cardinal call you up after the school year was over? Yeah. So um, when I started out as vocation director, the cardinal said, Dad, um, why don't you serve for five years? Okay. And after that, we'll talk. So I jumped in. I served as vocation director. It was hard, but I get used to it. I grow into it. And, and after five years, I knew that it was time for me to go to a parish. I have to discern what parish I want to sign up for. And, but he said, no, I, I need you to work some more. So I served for two more years. I served seven years. Okay. In fact, that's, that's fairly long for vocation director. Because, um, you know, as vocation director, you need a lot of energy. You need okay. to be out there with the young people while at the same time involved in formation. So mm -hmm. I literally see a lot of vocation director come and go during my time because a lot of them maybe do three years, four years, but I was in there for seven years. Because it takes a lot out of you. Yeah. yeah. Plus, uh, yeah, you need renewing, you need new energy. So I, so after seven years, it was time for me to, because you need fresh idea and things. I, I was, after seven years, I think I've, I've, I've done a lot, but also um, it was time for me to be a pastor. I've, a lot of my classmates have become pastors. So I was wondering, um, I knew I've already extended two more years than, than originally planned. So I know after seven years that I would be in a parish. So okay. uh, the cardinal just in one of our meetings said, Father, Dad, um, there's a, there's a, I need to open up a parish and you're finishing. If you take a, a, a priest from a parish and move, it's very hard because it, it affects like a domino effect. Yes. But with me, it might be a bit easier because I don't have a, really a parish yet so he can just yank me out and put me. Would you pray about uh, the uh, possibility of maybe starting a parish? I just need a priest over there right now. And since you're finishing up, I said, sure, Cardinal, I, I would pray about it. And uh, it was kind of excited. You know, I've never been a pastor before, so I was looking forward to be a pastor. But on the other hand, the idea of starting a parish from scratch said, wow, that's uh, challenging but exciting. You know, I, I, generally speaking, I'm a pretty adventurous guy. I went through a lot of stuff in my life. So I think, you know, this, this would be exciting. Yes. So uh, I, I brought it to prayer. And uh, so I discerned and uh, I had, I came up, you know, I wrote pro and cons of whether or not I, I should say yes. Okay. I'm thankful for the coroner for inviting me to discern. He said, just don't, you don't need to just say yes to me. Go and pray about it. Okay. That's so beautiful. So grateful for that. So I went to pray and I pray. And as I pray, I write down a list of 
if I should go, if I should not go. Uh huh. And the list of what I should that I shouldn't go is is longer than the, the list of yes. Oh, really? Because I feel very <laughs> incompetent. I'm very honored to be asked, but wow, I've never been a pastor before, and I uh, uh, and to start out a parish from scratch, I thought I would need some experience. So you thought that. maybe a senior priest would be better. That's right. Yeah, someone who have already have parish, someone who built. Another funny thing is. When I was a seminarian in my parish, there was building a lot, and the priests always talk about money. And I, th- I told myself when I was seminarian, if I ever become a priest, I'll never build. All uh-huh. the priests can build. I'm just gonna focus on building the community. Okay. All the priests. <laughs> that, that's not my call. See how God has a sense of humor. <laughs> so when I discerned, I said, "Yeah, I don't like, I don't like to talk about money. I don't want to build. It's not really about the talk. It's just about building God's kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought it's the money talk." It's about building God's kingdom. But I, so I said, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm not good at that. I love to preach the gospel and the Lord, but uh, invite people to, uh, to, to pitch in money. I, I think maybe other priests can do that better than me. So, but on the other hand, God put a conviction in my heart. Like he gave me the image of this empty field and there's a tent in the middle of the field. This is during my discernment. Uh-huh. And I, I op- God invited me to walk toward this tent of, of this empty field. And I opened up the tent and inside was the altar and the, the blessed sacrament, like what we have here. Uh-huh. And from that blessed sacrament, the, two, the rays come forth and fire and it began to catch fire and it burned and it spread over the field and it kept spreading and spreading and spreading. And I was overwhelmed with deep peace. So that was, I just couldn't get out of that peace. So I went to the coroner and I present him my fruit of prayer. I said, coroner, I, I feel very incompetent and these are the reason why I think that. You shouldn't. I shouldn't. Uh-huh. And these are the reasons why I think I said I can bring in some, some gifts. These are some of my limited gifts I have. Uh-huh. But also this is, but I, for some reason, I feel this deep peace I couldn't get out because this image keeps coming up. Even if the list of no's yeah. is longer than the list of yeses. And I even told him that uh, it's like God was calling to, I even told him, Maybe it'll be Divine Mercy Parish or something. Uh huh. This is this is even before I was. So he said, "Okay, thank you," and he he prayed about it, and I think he he consulted with with his uh, his personnel board, and and then mid spring uh, he asked me if I I'd be willing to to do it. I said, "Yes, Cornel, I certainly would." So. I said yes to him, and, and that was it. And uh, so this is my first love as a pastor, and I'm loving it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Our time here is almost up. I wish we could sit down uh-huh. a lot longer, but I know you have things to go to and do, yeah. and we're just glad that we're finally able to s- sit you down. Do you have any uh, last words that you'd like to say to anybody who who perhaps would be any 
young men or women who are discerning religious life? Yeah. I would uh, go back to what I started out at the beginning. All is God's grace. Live our life with grace. Whatever vocation, never be afraid to live our life for God and others because we find our deepest fulfillment in life and who we are in the image and likeness of God when we live a life for others. Whatever vocation that might be, I think the same way as a parish. In any community, be it a parish, a home, a rectory, let Christ be the very center of our lives and everything else will fall in its place. For my ordination, I chose from St. Paul, written on my card, ordination card. I live, no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. I think with the Lord, we can go through the difficulty of life, the suffering of life, the joy of life. The key is, is always walking with us. But be not afraid to live a life with God, for God, and for others. You're living proof that and, and, you could go through all that difficulty. And all because of God's grace. And God will never put us in a place without giving us the grace if we let him to truly live it. And he'll bring good out of it. One last thing before we let you go. Is there any bit of trivia or anything that people don't really know about you? That the parishioners don't know about you? Any secret talents? Any favorite pastimes? Or anything? <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I love, not, so, not too much secret because I share a lot with, with the people. I'm, uh -huh. I'm kind of like an open book. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love, uh, I love sport. I love, uh, watching a lot of sport. I'm trying to tone that down so I can spend <laughs> more time for God and for others. I love playing golf. I love fishing. Um, I love, I just love, I love music. I love singing karaoke and singing in general. Do you I, still play the violin? Uh, yeah, I haven't practiced for a long time. You know, I used to play a lot more when I was uh -huh. in seminary, but once I become a priest, I haven't really played. I think I'm very rusty at it now. So, Any other bits of trivia? <laughs> Any secret talents that we don't know about? No, that's all folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we hope to, to have you on the show again. We want to talk a little bit more about starting the parish and all of that, but we do understand that your, your time is limited. So we thank you so much. Father Dad, for sharing this amazing it's story. Been, thank you. It's been a, a true joy. And um, it's not about us. It's about God who loves us and carry us through. I pray that uh, our life is, uh, at the end of Mass, we say, our Mass is ended. Go forth. Go glorifying the Lord by your lives. You know, If we just step back and look at our lives, it's God's story writing in our life, and it's God's love. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very honored uh, with, uh, with great uh, humility uh, and um, honor. I, I share these to, to tell 
the story of God's grace and God's love. So thank you so much for having me. We're honored with you. to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much.